listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Today we're going to talk to a man who has suffered varying degrees of depression and suicidal thoughts for most of his adult life. One of the things that helps him with his physical and emotional ailments is cannabis, but he lives in a country where it's illegal. Joining us from the United Kingdom to tell his story is Jonathan Liebling. Jonathan, very good of you to do this. We appreciate it. You're absolutely welcome. Hello, Corey. Hello, Ian. And hello, all listeners. Hi there. All of us experience bouts of depression in our lifetime, but for most of us, we get over it. But for some people, it lingers a while longer. It never seems to leave. When did you first notice that things weren't quite right for you? Well, um, I think if, as a child, to be honest, um, I think if I'd have been a child now, uh, I'm pretty sure I would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Um, obviously, when I was younger, they didn't have such a diagnosis. Um, but uh, being able to concentrate on anything, being able to focus on anything, it, it, it was always a real, real problem. I needed constant attention and, co- and constant distraction. Um, and, and this all stems, I mean, I, you know, I, I've done a lot of work with myself um, over the years, and I know, you know, I I had a suicidal mum and I had a father who who left at around about the time. Um, And so I'm well aware of where those kinds of anxieties uh, stem from. But uh, and, and so I was always a bit of a, let's just say, a kind of socially awkward, bit of a weird and and then quite clever kid. I I sort of managed to get myself through all of my exams and everything else like that and got myself to university. But I was a bit worried about university because I wasn't very good at making friends and and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, someone passed me a spliff at a party. And it was just like a revelation um, <laughs> because uh, ne- never mind the actual the, the first thought, which was actually I prefer getting stoned to getting drunk. Um, but my second thought was all the stress pain from the shoulders and my upper back um, had disappeared. My social anxiety had gone and I wasn't feeling in any way anxious at all. And for the first time in as long as I could remember, I could actually focus on one thing at a time if I wanted to. And yeah, um, my life got a bit different from that point. That was very pronounced. I'm trying to think of you having that, uh, that smoke and just thinking, I just feel totally different. It, I mean, it, it is. It's, it's when you're used to because uh, I mean, I've had a lifetime of it now. When, you, when you're used to lots of what you would call uh, uninvited thoughts and, 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 you know, lots of different cycles of thoughts in your head, you do kind of get used to it. it in some ways, it almost becomes a bit of a friend. But, but um, obviously, when you want to concentrate on something, when you need to focus on something, when you need to finish a task, um, it's not very helpful to have those uh, internal interruptions. And, and it just, you know, I, I, I sometimes kind of comically put it like this, but it, but it really did just calm the voices down. Were you ever at any time on any medication? So, uh, in fact, as it happens, I mean, for most of my adult life, I've been, I, I've been lucky enough. Well, I mean, you can call it lucky or not, but I, I've got a medical family, let's say. Um, I, it's quite interesting, actually. So my father was a consultant psychiatrist. My, my mother was a GP. Uh, general practitioner and uh, and also a, a, a psychologist, um, a, a psychotherapist. 
Um, and, and so with that kind of medical background, I rarely ever needed to go to the doctors. I was always kind of looked out for, out for at home. But in recent years, um, I, I had a number of, 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 let's just say, personal problems. Uh, and, and, and I wasn't coping. I, I, my anxiety levels were becoming uh, unmanageable. I was starting to not be able to get onto public transport, don't like being trapped in spaces and, and, and things like that. I, it was becoming difficult for me to leave the house. And I went to my doctor because I knew what I wanted or I felt I did. And I needed to talk to somebody about all sorts of things going on. But my doctor at the time refused point blank to refer me to any kind of uh, talking therapist, which which is kind of a thing we have in the, in the UK, um, because he said, because you're using a drug. Um, because I, I've always been open and honest with my medical professionals, whether they like it or not, I'm afraid. I'm a, I'm a bit in your face about it, I suppose. Um, but, but he just said, look, you've got to put your trust in your doctor. Um, and, I, and I said, well, okay, uh, if you insist. Um, and and he, pres- he he took me off. It, well, I stopped using cannabis for a period of time. Um, and within a couple of weeks, I already wasn't really leaving the house. and Anxiety was quite strong. So he saw me again and he, he prescribed me um, a, a Valium. It was a diazepam. Uh, it was for sleeping uh, because I wasn't sleeping very well. Uh, and he prescribed me a drug called fluoxetine, or for my depression, which is, I think it's commonly known as Prozac. It stands as the single worst drug experience of my entire life, because I suffer from suicidal thoughts. So that, that's kind of, it's a little bit specific when that comes to anxiety and, and, and depression. And, uh, and what Prozac seemed to do is it seemed to make me happy with all my thoughts, um, which is all very good, uh, unless you've got suicidal thoughts. Um, and being happy with those is, is rather counterproductive. Um, and, 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 and basically, I, I acted. Um, and in fact, I acted perhaps for the first time in my life. Um, uh, and, and I was lucky enough when I was waking up in hospital um, to, to have a, a, a second doctor and a second doctor's opinion who, who explained to me um, that if the doctor had actually taken time to talk to me about my history, um, then there's nowhere on earth he should have been prescribing me Prozac because it's known to have um, a, a, that kind of a side effect in, in certain situations. So she immediately took me off all of those medications. Uh, the diazepam just made me feel like I'd been knocked out with a hammer most of the time. And she recommended that I go back to using what I'd been using to manage it all my life. But she said she can't write it down in my medical records because she runs the risk of, of being struck off and losing her job. But the good thing is, is she referred me to the talking therapist, which is kind of what I needed in the first place. And, uh, and that was much better. How did you try and take your life? Um, I uh, overdosed. Okay. O- overdose of, of, let's say, prescription medications. It's an interesting story because... When I went to the gym last month, several weeks ago, uh, there's a fellow there that I used to talk to, and we used to converse on uh, a fairly uh, infrequent basis, but we would say hi to each other and chat. He was a runner, and I said, are you running much lately? And he said, no, I'm on different medication. And I didn't ask him what medication he was on because I thought, well, he didn't offer it. It's none of my business. Two days later, he went missing. And then uh, several days later, his body was found washed up on the shore. And what he did is he took a backpack, filled it full of rocks, went down to the ocean, cut his wrists, and walked into the ocean. And I didn't know at the time, but he was suffering from depression. And it really, I mean, it, 
it hits you because you really don't know what's going on in people's minds. And, and he uh, was on a new medication. And he was on a new medication. And your story just brought that to mind right now because I thought it's a very similar story. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the experience of Prozac, because, you know, with, with my background and my family background, I mean, you know, I, I used to be a psychiatric nurse as well, and, and I've got a background, in, uh, I've got a degree in psychology. Um, so obviously, the, this whole, the, the whole subject of mental health has, has interested me uh, most of my life. And, and the way I analysed the, the thoughts I was having, um, I, I characterised it such as, you know, it, there was no difference in my own head of the power and significance of the thought to go out and buy a pint of milk or to take an overdose and kill yourself. There was no difference in terms of feeling or emotion in my head between those two thoughts. And it, I mean, it, I, I can see that for some people that might have you know, a really therapeutic effect. And you know, I, I'm sure some of these pharmaceuticals, uh, antidepressants, etc., have got a, a valid use in the right circumstance. Um, but um, I think we need to be very, very, very much more careful um, as to who we're giving those things to. And I, you know, I mean, that, that, that even comes across because, you know, I, I find some strains of, of cannabis, I find, can exacerbate my anxiety sometimes um, rather than calm it down. But um, there's easy ways around that. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if the cannabis gave you suicidal thoughts. Um, not that I'm aware of, never. Um, in fact, I mean, I've kind of always had the suicidal thoughts. It's a, it's a question of whether you want to... Um, explore them and act on them um and certainly cannabis has has never done that um th th there are occasions uh, i mean we we, we have a, a problem which you know I, I firmly believe to be a direct consequence of its illegality um that around about 85 to 90 percent of the cannabis that you can buy off the street in this country is of a single particular type it's it's of the the, the type that is very very high in thc and extremely low in cbd and that's that's creating some problems. And I find personally that on occasions that can, you know, cause me to feel agitated. And I, I would never describe it as suicidal. Um, but, but what I have learned, and, you know, thanks to a, a fantastic network, my organization, the United Patients Alliance as well, with, with a lot of people with a lot of um, experience um, in, in using various different kinds. And, you know, I, I was able to find a one-to-one strain a, a thc cbd one-to-one -one balance and oh wow um that was that was for me a, a revelation and that that was it, it, it's like i'd suddenly found a strain that was perfect for me and now because it's difficult to find those strains because obviously it's illegal i occasionally supplement with uh, with cbd oil or you know a, a cbd rich hemp oil or something like that because I believe and I think it, it you know it replaces the missing and missing cannabinoids which is cbd in in, in these strains Jonathan, tell me about some of the run-ins you've had with police with respect to cannabis over the years. <laughs> well, I, I was talking a little earlier about my, my, my first experience of going to university, and and, and, uh, and after about I suppose it was about six months, I was I was hitchhiking um, around the UK. Um, we were going up to a party. It was me and a girlfriend. We're going up to a party in in, in Newcastle. And coming back, uh, I got stopped. We, we got stopped by the police. Now, it was one of those things. I was a student, a bit stupid. Um, we were sat by a, a, a junction, um, and I was sat there, and I was rolling up a, a, a rolling up a doobie. And, and I looked up, and there was this blue flashing light. There, there was not much I could do in that situation to deny it. Um, but the, the, what, what got me was when they when they booked me. 
Uh, I mean, I, I know I just got up to Newcastle and I just bought 14 grams, about, about half an ounce. And uh, when I got to the police station, it was booked in. They were booking me for seven grams. And I was a bit curious about that. Um, what had happened is that the, the police basically took half of it and busted me for the other half, um, which their knowledge of that had a very detrimental impact um, to my, um, uh, let's just say I, I became rather disenfranchised with society and rather angry about that. Um, and, and perhaps behaved in a way for a little while that I, I'd say I wasn't too proud of really. Um, but I pulled my life together. I, 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 I sorted it all out. I realized that misbehaving wasn't a very good idea. Uh, and actually I, I ended up really pulling myself together and I qualified to become a nurse. Uh, I did my three years nurse training. I wanted to be a psychiatric nurse. And unfortunately, just after I qualified, I had my grow because I was growing at home. I had a house on a farm. It had no neighbors or anything. Um, but I, I had a grow on a farm and, and, and that got busted. And unfortunately, I lost my course, my job and everything at that time. And, and that made me very angry. But more recently, so, so I pulled my life together again after that. Um, and, uh, I, I trained in IT, uh, and in fact, for 15, 16 years, I built a career in IT, and, and, and uh, you know, eventually I was, I was a business relationships senior IT manager for an international retailer, always consuming cannabis um, because it helps, and it helps me to do that. Um, but um, after the, uh, the, the, the situation I was telling you about with my doctor, uh, where they recommended I go back to, to consuming cannabis. I, I wanted to grow my own again. I, I don't want to feed the criminal market. Uh, I want to be careful with my health. I want to know it's being grown and grown organically. Uh, and I want the strains that I want, that I, that I know are best for me so I could grow it. Um, and that's what I did. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I got busted again. And, and, and in fact, as of this day right now, um, I am currently serving uh, a 12-month suspended sentence for production of a controlled drug class B. And in fact, I'm glad I'm talking to Canada because uh, I'm banned from going to the US now for about the next five years, which is rather upsetting. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Here's, here's a, a plant that has been around for thousands of years. It helps people. You are under a suspended sentence now. Yet, if you had some pharmaceuticals, it would be fine. Even if they, <laughs> even if they create terrible side effects, suicidal thoughts, uh, you take your own life, you get cancer down the road. That's fine. That's okay. Well, I mean, this is why at that point, and this is what drove me into doing what I'm doing right now. Um, because I remember saying at the time, I mean, you know, I'm 49 and I was 47 at the time, and uh, you know, I've got a grown-up kid, and. Um, are perhaps in a position where I've got perhaps slightly less to risk. I, I mean, I, I don't know how true that is, but I just swore to myself, I am never, ever, ever going to deny or apologize for what I do ever again. Um, because it occurred to me, it's not just me, uh, but, you know, we estimate there's a million people currently today in the UK who are consuming cannabis primarily for a medical reason. This is the regime that they have to live under. You know, it, it, it's bad enough that they have an illness. Um, but on top of that, um, you know, they've, they've got to be so careful. So, uh, and, and they could be easily locked up or criminalised. So I said, enough's enough. Um, and uh, and that, that's when I, I, I came across the United Patients Alliance, and uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, because I'm not going to let this go till it changes, because it's wrong. It's totally wrong, and it's too bad. You know, all these patients that are using cannabis have to live with anxiety and fear and looking over their shoulder. You know, I mean, it's bad enough to be fighting 
a disease or an illness and then to have that on top of it it's just crazy well quite and, and you know and also the the law obviously you're talking about pushing patients into the arms of criminals yeah. um and, and and therefore you know they're not getting in, in a lot of the situations they're not getting a quality medicine that they know what's in it um and and you know the the, the people are just put under an, under ridiculous risk when we should be showing them a little bit more compassion and you know, perhaps start by stopping arresting them, for instance. Here's what I find really, really stupid about the UK. And uh, I'm talking about the government now. I'm not talking about the people of the UK. The UK, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, is really far behind many industrialized countries when it comes to cannabis, with one exception. GW Pharmaceuticals. The UK government yeah. will allow GW to grow cannabis and sell it but it won't allow its own citizens in the UK to grow it. What do you think of that? Well, um, it's unfair and it's an anomaly. Um, I mean, I've spent a bit of time looking closely at GW uh, Pharmaceuticals in the UK. Uh, And, and you know, they've got a reasonable history. I mean, they they, they formed in, I think it was 1998, uh, around about then. Um, And and their their primary reason was um, to exploit cannabis as a medicine and their their business decision um was to do it within the letter of the law um because you know we weren't going to change the law uh, cannabis is a fantastic cornucopia of potential uh, therapeutic benefits um and so they moved forward on that but um when you come down to the regulations for for instance sativex which, which i'll presume you are you are familiar with um which is their um their first medicine, Sativex, which is uh, which was submitted to our Medicines and Healthcare Regulation Authority, uh, and I quote, um, as a one-to-one formulation of two cannabinoids, THC and CBD, with other inactive impurities. Now, the reason uh, I've got that one off by heart. Um, the, 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 reason, <laughs> the reason they've had to specify like that is because there's another rule in the UK which says you can't patent a plant extract. Um, because that would be silly. Um, the, there was a pharmaceutical company that tried it with an apple a long time ago. Um, you know, they, they turned an apple into an extract and tried to sell it as a medicine, and, and they're just not having it. But what that means is, is, is they can't submit full plant extract. Now, Sativex is made from two different full plant extracts. Um, one of them we happen to know is made from skunk. Um, skunk hash one, in fact, the seed was, um, because we know the man who sold the seeds to GW when they were looking for them. Um, and the other one is kind of a, it, it's a variation of what, what what you probably call or recognise as Charlotte's Web. Um, and, and what they do is they take a full plant extract of both, mix them together until they get a one to one formulation of THC CBD, and Bob's your uncle. And with the MHRA, all the other impurities are all of the other cannabinoids and all of the other terpenes because it's a full plant extract. That according to the Misuse of Drugs Act when it's produced, as long as you have a prescription with it, is in Schedule 4 of our Misuse of Drugs Act. If you don't have a prescription, it's suddenly in Schedule 2. And if you pull a liquid from one bottle to another bottle, it'll suddenly be Schedule 1, because cannabis oil is in Schedule 1. And yes, absolutely, it's a crazy system. (laughs) It is a crazy system. Now, are there any political parties in the UK who are supportive of the legalization of cannabis, either medically or recreationally? Um, I would say the, the, the pressure on what I would say the only party that's not said boo to a goose at the moment is, is our Conservative Party. Our Labour Party have 
uh, the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, um, he has publicly specified, uh, publicly stated that he thinks cannabis should be legalised and regulated and we should all grow up. And that's great, but his party hasn't quite bothered him yet. Um, but our Green Party have been in favour of the legalisation of cannabis for years and years and years. Um, uh, to be fair, but the Green Party in this country just simply are not big enough to have that much of an impact. I mean, they, 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 they are having an impact, but they've only got one seat, basically, in Parliament. Now, in the last few days, um, the uh, Liberal Democrats, so Liberal Party, have uh, launched a manifesto, effectively, um, and they've made a proposal for the legal regulation of cannabis for adults uh, in shops. And, and, and it's quite... I would argue that they are... The Liberals here are following quite carefully um, the Liberals in Canada. Um, and, and there's quite a lot of uh, match-up with, with, with some of their approaches and, and, and some of the ways they're looking to regulate. So, but... The Liberal Democrats, they only have eight or nine seats in Parliament as well. Um, and frankly, I think if I were a betting man right now with a general election coming up on June the 8th, I think it's almost a certainty that uh, Theresa May and the Conservatives will be back. Which means cannabis will continue to be illegal in the UK. Um, that's certainly how it looks now. Um, I mean, there are... You know, at, at the end of the day, what I would say about Theresa May, uh, because it, I mean, most most people know this about her, she's absolutely no friend of drug law reform at all in any way, shape or form. She's got very staunch views, uh, they're prohibitionist views, uh, about the whole subject. And, and therefore, she, I don't think one could ever say she's going to change any drug policy, legalise cannabis, because that's important to her, or because she's going to show some compassion. However... There are some ongoing and increasing what I would call conservative arguments um, to start having a look seriously at this. So, you know, we're certainly not going to give up. Um, the first thing is you know, we've got a report that it will add 1.1, at least 1.1 billion pounds a year um, in tax. Um, we do know that it's going to save the NHS in prescription charges an awful lot. We can reduce the costs of our police service, we can reduce our criminal justice costs, and we can reduce our prison numbers, which we're having a, a great deal of a problem with. And also we seem to be having a growing problem um, with synthetic cannabinoids being out there on the street as well. And there is a possibility, and we're trying to hard to make an argument to the Conservative Party, that here's a bunch of reasons why it would be really, really good um, <laughs> for you guys if you started doing something about policy. And um, I think in the end, they're going to realise that the, the world is changing and the UK is getting left way behind. I mean, you know, we've now got... I think it's 12 EU countries that have some form of, of, of legal access to cannabis therapeutics um, via their doctor through pharmacy. You've got more than half the states. Um, you've got, well, obviously you've got Canada, you know, countries all over the world. And we really are getting behind. And so I think it's an inevitability. Jonathan, I want to ask you about uh, your work and with the United Patients Alliance and dealing with other people who have depression. Do you help out other people who have depression? 
obviously our, our main focus started uh, to be campaigning and you know we were a grassroots activist organization to begin with but campaigning lobbying you know that that's our focus um you know however the more and more patients or or, or medic, you know people who identified as medical cannabis patients uh, who joined our organization the more it started to become a support group we do now have discussion forums and you know we all offer each other an awful lot of support pretty much everybody who does anything within the United Patients Alliance is a, a it does gain benefit from consuming cannabis as medicine. Um, and so, yes, we, you know, we, we do have forums and, and, you know, each of our directors in, in, in some ways is a representation of one aspect or another. I mean, I, I, I found a Clark French, um, he was diagnosed at the age of 24 with multiple sclerosis and he's now in his 30s. Um, you know, and he, he struggles from time to time, but around him has been created, you know, a lot of, you know, very similar thinking and very similar feeling people. And, and, and we're, we're gathering a great deal now of, you know, what I would call very, very valuable patient data, um, you know, in terms of what strains work for you, what situations don't. And we can do that in little groups of, of, of people who are mental health sufferers, people who are depression sufferers, people who are multiple sclerosis sufferers or, or whatever else. And we're looking to exploit that data at some point and actually, you know, get it out there and get it published because it, it's got to be very, very valuable. So, so, yes, absolutely, we do act as a support group now. Jonathan, when you're on cannabis, would you say you still suffer from depression or the depression is not noticeable? Uh, I would have to say the latter. Um, given that, given the choice of those two, I think you know, <laughs> depression is something that um, depression and anxiety is, is is something that's going to follow me around through life. It's, it's a result of uh, my experiences, and, and it is quite easy for things to trigger me and, and set me off. But using cannabis, I find it. What's the best way of putting it? It enables my own mind and it enables my, my, my own psyche to handle and, and, and rationale, rationale the, the problems and the thoughts that are going on. And so I've still got it, but what cannabis does is it enables me to manage it so much better. Um, and that, that's certainly the way I would put it. How do you consume your cannabis? Um, various different methods. I, I, I haven't yet. There's, there's a lot of people around me who, who, who are – um, consuming extracts and, uh, and getting into, into dabs and things like that. And, and, and right now, I have to say, uh, I'll get slated for saying this, I'm sure, um, but, but, but I'm just still not quite comfortable with the idea of using a blowtorch and a bong um, in order to consume my cannabinoids. It, it, it just, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's something I just need to get over. Um, but for the time being, I vape rice. Um, I do admit to being a lifetime nasty horrible poisonous drug tobacco user um and at the moment i am trying really really hard i do occasionally slip up but i never like to mix the two um because why on earth would you put that poison with the medicine jonathan are you using cannabis on a daily basis um it's a daily basis when my mood goes low um but i you know i i would say i go through maybe a daily basis for a month um and then probably don't touch it for a week or two um, and then it may come back and then a daily basis again. Uh, so it varies. Jonathan, I'm wondering, you live in a climate which is similar to ours here, and the winters are wet, they're dark, dark they're, they're cold, they're, they're gray. <laughs> does your, 
<laughs> That's right. Does your depression, is it more uh, pronounced during the winter than it is th- during the summer? Um, I, 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 I've tried to notice that, but uh, but no, I, I actually don't think so with mine. I mean, I, I am uh, I, I, I'm well known. I'm a highly emotional person, um, and uh, my, my my triggers and my depression, my anxiety, tends to be in response to stimulus um, as as opposed to a, a change in the weather. Um, I actually really enjoy winter. I, I, I quite like the dark and the cold. And well, the come on over. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, they, they won't let me in the U.S. anymore, so I've got to, I've got to look to Canada and Mexico. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the triggers for you? Oh, um, uh, anything. If I if I feel trapped, um, and that that actually can be physical or emotional. Um, if I feel trapped. I can freeze or I can just need to get out of that situation. Uh, I mean, some of, the, some of the most embarrassing times that's happened is like, you know, giving, giving a talk or something in the middle of a dinner. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden, I just, you know, the, the room goes a bit odd and, and someone looks at me in the wrong way. And, and I just need to go and grab some fresh air. Um, with public transport, just sometimes my legs just won't get on. Um, and in situations where there is aggression and conflict, um, yeah, they tend to trigger me as well, if you see what I mean. Mm. How does your son feel about your cannabis use? A daughter. daughter uh, I've got a, sorry. A, that's all right. It's 11-year-old daughter, Dasha. And, uh, oh, she's absolutely fantastic. And, in, and in fact, uh, I've got this wonderful story because my daughter's half English, half Russian, because her mum's Russian. And so she spends quite a lot of time over there as well. And, uh, and so every summer she'd spend like a couple of months over there and, and they come back. And uh, I, mean, I, I love gardening. Um, <laughs> obviously, I've, I've used that skill in a number of areas. But um, I, I had a, a couple of plants in the garden. And, um, and they were about, I would say they were probably about two feet tall uh, by the time uh, Dasher and Mum came back from Russia. The first thing Dasher always did was run straight out into the garden because it's a sunny day. And on this occasion, she ran straight out into the garden and suddenly stopped dead. And then just turned around and stared directly at my cannabis plants. And she just, like, almost like she was hypnotized. And she was like six years old at this stage. And it was almost like she was hypnotized. And she walked over and she touched one of the leaves and she just said, Daddy, this is beautiful. What is it? <laughs> and and that, that told me so much in that moment uh, because she, she didn't know what it was. She had no reason to uh, think of it as being something different from anything else in the garden, but it, it definitely caught her attention. And it's a little difficult for her because her mum is not, should we just say, not a supporter. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just put it this way. She's got some very Russian um, attitudes uh, towards, towards an awful lot of things. And, and, and therefore, you know, when, when, when Dash is starting to ask me lots of questions about it, um, but she loves the hemp plant already, and she has learnt um, and all all sorts more about what benefit the hemp plant is to the uh, to the planet, uh, and therefore the idea that it's a medicine is not that far removed from what makes sense for her. So I, I'm keeping her up to speed on the truth, and uh, and, and she's fantastic. Yeah, that is that is a great story. That's fantastic. <laughs> Anything you want to say in conclusion, Jonathan? In conclusion, no. I mean, I think the the global attitude towards cannabis has changed. Uh, It's not changing. It has changed. I think, you know, the the, the public have changed their view. The medical profession is starting to change their view. And the politicians, you know, they they need to know that the world is coming together on this and nobody's going, you know, 
everybody's going to make the change eventually. And I think the fact that I've got Canadian Cannabis Health Radio talking to me over here in the UK, this is brilliant. This is people from all over the world getting together, sharing their stories, sharing their knowledge. And, and the more we all work together, the faster we'll get this all sorted out right the way across the globe. Well said. Very well said, yes. Yeah. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. And, uh, and, and thank you for taking the time to interview me. Brilliant. Jonathan, thank you so much. You're welcome. And that's it. Another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.